and welcome to our second Herbert Smith Free Hills on the Horizon podcast, where we talk about some of the more material developments in corporate law and regulation that will be of interest to listed companies. My name is Julie Farley, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Sarah Hawes, Erica MacDonald and Isabel Hoyle. In this podcast, we're going to be discussing some of the key developments which we expect to see in the next six to 12 months that companies are going to have to familiarise themselves with and adapt to. Whether that's in terms of interactions with companies house or fundamental reforms around audit and corporate governance or changes to the listing regime. So, Sarah, to start us off, could you give us an update on the proposals around companies house and in particular what companies need to know about and do as a result? Uh, Thanks, Julie. Yeah, of course. So following the government's white paper on companies' house reform that was published in March 2022, and of course we covered in our June 2022 episode of this podcast, well in September this year, the government laid the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill in Parliament. Now it's the bill that contains, among other things, the draft amendments to the Companies Act 2006 to facilitate the reform of companies' house. Now, the bill's had its first and second readings in the House of Commons and completed a very lengthy committee stage with multiple amendments proposed, and it now awaits report stage back in the House of Commons. It will then also need to go through the Lords before it reaches all important royal assent, uh, and we'll expect that to be in the first part of next year. Now, as I know we've said before, but given the magnitude, I think it merits repeating, Once implemented, these reforms will result in the biggest change in the role of Companies House since it was created in 1884, turning it from a largely passive recipient of information into a much more active gatekeeper. So under the Draft Companies Act provisions in the bill, Companies House will be given the power to query any filings, including company names, that appear erroneous, anomalous, suspicious, uh, which may impact the integrity of the register in some way or the wider business environment. It'll also have the power to request further evidence and ultimately to reject the filing. Companies House will always have also have the new power to remove material from the register much more swiftly and in wider circumstances than is currently the case. And it will be able to require all information to be filed electronically. Identity verification requirements will be introduced for all new and existing company directors and the equivalents for other entities, for all people with significant control and for all people filing information with Companies House. And it will be UK company formation agents that register with Companies House who will be able to conduct those checks on companies' behalf. And any directors or PSCs who don't verify their identity will commit a criminal offence and or incur a new civil penalty. Companies that have an unverified director will also commit a criminal offence. The bill also contains provisions introducing registration and transparency requirements for limited partnerships. Now, the proposals follow reforms first mooted by the government to UK limited partnership law back in uh, April 2018, try and strengthen that legal framework and limit the risk of limited partnerships being used for illicit activities. So look, in terms of steps companies can be taking now to prepare, well, there will be a long implementation list for every company and every group of companies uh, once the bill is made and once we have a better idea of timing. 
For example, companies will need to start gathering a list of all their directors and those who file information at company's house for the company so that their ID can be verified in due course. Uh, Companies will need to decide whose or which email address or even set up a new email address to provide to company's house for their correspondence. And companies will also need to review their entire director appointment processes so that the ID verification piece can be built in and they can be doubly sure that confirmation of appointment is submitted to company's house as soon as possible. But look, I think that's enough for today on the topic, Judy. Uh, We can tell you much more about those implementation lists in a lot more detail once we have commencement dates for the new provisions. Great. Thank you, Sarah. So some really major changes on the horizon for, for all companies there. Um, Now, moving on to the listing regime. So we had the Hill review of the UK listing regime back in March 2021, and that contained various recommendations, uh, some of which have been implemented um, and some of which are still a work in progress. One of the recommendations was to overhaul the regime for existing listed companies who want to raise additional capital. Um, So what's the latest news on that, Erica? Uh, yeah, thanks, Julie. That's that's right. So in July this year, the secondary capital raising review was published and it made several recommendations, all of which have been accepted by the government. And when implemented, will make secondary capital raises much quicker, easier and cheaper. Now, one of the things the review looked at is ways to facilitate bigger placings. So to enable companies to raise more money with less regulation. And to that end, the preemption group, in line with the review's recommendations, has revamped its guidance so that listed companies can now seek from their shareholders a general disapplication of statutory preemption rights over up to 10% of the company's issued share capital, where the proceeds of the share issue can be used for any purpose, plus an additional authority over up to another 10% of issued share capital, but here the proceeds must be used to fund an acquisition or a specified capital investment. Now, you will remember that the preemption group, PEG, uh, increased its original 5% plus 5% guidance during the pandemic to 10% plus 10%. And this new updated guidance now just enshrines this position and gives companies greater flexibility going forward to raise further equity finance. Now, in both cases, for each 10% authority, a further authority of up to 2% of issued share capital can be sought, but this can only be used for a follow-on offer which is intended to help smaller and retail shareholders to participate in equity issues. Now, follow-on offers, says PEG, should have uh, certain features. For example, the, the offer should be made to all existing shareholders other than those involved in the placing. The offer should entitle shareholders to subscribe for shares up to a cap of uh, £30,000 each at the same or a lower price than the placing and the offer should be open for a period that is sufficient to allow shareholders to become aware of the offer and, of course, reach their investment decision. Now, in practice, for the moment, 
the scope for companies to be able to make such follow-on offers is still limited by the current requirement for a prospectus in the case of a retail offer worth more than 8 million euros and of course when an issue of shares is greater than 20% of existing issued share capital. And I should of course add that for any urgent exceptional circumstances before a company seeks the new more permissive authorities at its next AGM, issuers are advised to follow the transitional arrangements in the secondary capital raising review itself. Now moving on to some of the other recommendations. So we've looked at how uh, the review has suggested facilitating bigger placings, but it is also proposed that we do not need a prospectus for most rights issues. It has uh, recommended that the threshold for producing a prospectus be increased from 20% of the company's existing share capital to 75% and to align this with the ongoing reform uh, to the prospectus regime, which means that most secondary capital raisers will not need a prospectus and therefore won't need a sponsor or indeed FCA involvement. So you can see how this would make it much quicker, easier and cheaper for existing listed companies to raise more money. Um, some of the other recommendations are around uh, truncating the timetable for fundraising and this would involve uh, amending the Companies Act so that notice periods for general meetings other than AGMs should be shortened to seven clear days um, from a minimum of 14 clear days currently and also the period for which an offer must be kept open should be reduced from 10 business days to seven business days. So shortening the timetable will clearly make it easier for companies to raise more cash. Now, the review also looked at how best to involve retail investors, and it said that due consideration should be given to retail investors at all stages, including how to involve them as fully as possible. And we've seen already with the PEG guidance that I've just described how those follow-on offers will help to involve retail investors more. There was also a bit about modernizing the way shareholders hold their shares. And this here we're talking about dematerialization and digitization so that all shareholders should hold their shares in digitized form uh, and this will make all listed company corporate actions quicker and easier and in fact a digitization task force has already been established and uh, we're expecting it to publish its final recommendations in the spring of 2024. Now as I've said all these recommendations have been accepted by the government. Um, PEG has already issued its new guidance, as we've heard, and it is now for the government and the FCA to try to implement them either through statutory change or through new FCA rules. And actually, Julie, if you wouldn't mind, just a quick word on UK prospectus reform generally. As listeners may be aware, uh, recently the Chancellor announced a package of reforms uh, known as the Edinburgh Reforms, which the government says is aimed at driving growth and competitiveness across the financial sector. Now, this involves the government repealing retained EU law on financial services, and it has said that the prospectus regime will be amongst the first tranche of new rules to be reformed using the powers set out in the Financial Services and Markets Bill. Now, this bill is the framework 
uh, well, it will provide the framework for the new prospectus regime. And as part of this, the government has published what it calls an illustrative statutory instrument, which is in fact, in effect, draft regulations, which demonstrates how it will make its proposed changes to the existing prospectus and public offers regime. Now, this illustrative statutory instrument covers the majority of changes announced by the government in March this year in response to its consultation on the UK prospectus regime and sets out key reforms. For example, that prospectuses will remain a key feature of an IPO in the UK, but not necessarily a secondary issue, and just grants the FCA powers to determine when a prospectus is required and when it is required, what should be in it. So in terms of next steps, the Financial Services and Markets Bill is expected to receive royal assent in uh, spring next year, and this will deliver, as I said, the framework for the new prospectus regime. And then we're expecting next year the FCA to make new listing and prospectus rules following uh, its own consultations. So we will keep you updated on all of that. Thanks, Erica. Um, a lot going on in the listing arena, um, a lot to keep, keep, keep our eye on. Uh, thanks very much. Is Isabel, I mentioned in the intro that audit reform is back in the spotlight. Could you update us on the latest position on this, please? Of course. So we're in a fairly similar position to the one we were in at the time of our last On the Horizon podcast back in June. Back then, we floated the idea that maybe we'd see the FRC putting out a consultation paper on the changes needed to the governance code to implement some of the reforms. Uh, or, or maybe even we'd see some of the secondary legislation, those SIs, which could be used to implement the reforms that don't require primary legislation from the government. However, these haven't materialised, though the FRC has published a position paper setting out the steps that it will be taking as part of the reform implementation process. But just to take a quick step back, for those who aren't following audit and corporate governance reforms as closely as we are, the reforms we're talking about here are those which the government confirmed in May this year when it published its response paper to the white paper consultation launched in March 2021. Now, the scale of the reforms announced by the government following that consultation are, are wide ranging. We have, for example, new corporate reporting requirements for companies with the introduction of a resilience statement as part of the strategic report, uh, an audit and assurance policy, which is going to be this triennial publication on the company's approach to internal and external assurance or, or audit. Uh, there are changes to the audit market itself with new requirements for managed share audits to assist challenger firms to penetrate the listed company audit market. And even a new regulator, the uh, Audit Reporting and Governance Authority, ARGA, as it will be called, which will take the place of the FRC. And when fully implemented, the reforms will result in a pretty significant change to audit governance and reporting regimes of the largest entities operating in the UK. And they are the focus of these reforms, those entities which are the most economically important companies in terms of the number of people they employ and their contribution to the national economy. And with the significance of those companies in mind, the government wants to strengthen the regime in such a way to safeguard the interests of investors and the wider community as much as possible without stifling innovation, enterprise and growth here. Now, the debate about whether or not the confirmed reforms will achieve this is for another forum. But as I say, uh, in terms of where we are at the moment, the FRC has published its position paper, 
which sets out the steps it will take to implement the reforms announced by the government. And in particular, the FRC has said that it intends to publish a consultation paper on the changes to the UK Corporate Governance Code and the supporting guidance, so the guidance on board effectiveness and on audit committees, for example, in the first quarter of next year. And this is with the expectation that that revised governance code will apply to financial reporting periods starting on or after the 1st of January 2024. The changes to the governance code, which the reforms will require, uh, will include things such as enhancing the disclosures that the board is required to make in relation to the effectiveness of the company's internal control systems, and also strengthening provisions in the governance code that deal with the conditions for withholding executive pay. Now, as we've mentioned before, the changes to the governance code are but one strand of the necessary work streams to implement these reforms, with probably the most crucial one being the introduction into Parliament of the Reform Bill itself, which will provide for the creation of this new regulator, ARGA. Now, we don't yet know if the bill will be in the King's speech next year and therefore in scope for the next parliamentary session. But if there is to be a chance of hitting that 2024 timescale floated by the FRC, I think the draft bill needs to be in Parliament in the near future. As I've said, the scale of the reform is pretty extensive and companies are going to need time getting their affairs in order, putting in place necessary procedures and reporting lines ahead of the commencement of these new measures. And that's where we are at the moment, Julie, and how we can expect things to pan out over the next few months. By the time of our next On the Horizon podcast, I, I hope we will have a much clearer uh, idea on the timing of the implementation of these reforms. That's, that's great. Thank you. Thank you, Isabel. And in fact, thank you, Sarah, Erica and Isabel for, for updating us on all of those areas. And thank you, too, to our listeners. We hope you found this podcast helpful. We would welcome any feedback you may have on it. And we look forward to you joining us again in six months time when we give our next roundup. Thank you. Bye bye.